Hell is a real place of unimaginable pain and suffering. I say that without any glee in my heart and while simply resting on the full authority of Jesus' own words found in the Bible. Yes, hell was very much on the Savior's mind, heart, and lips. In Luke chapter 16, for example, Jesus told a true story about a rich man who died and went to Hades. Jesus said the man was in so much agony that he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. What Jesus said about hell should awaken the human heart to repentance or evangelism. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's Hebrews 9, 27, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Well, at the end of days, there will be not one, but two separate judgments, the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. What will these judgments look like and who will be judged? Ron has answers today as he wraps up his teaching series, Heaven, the Father's House, and My Eternal Home. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. With part two of his Something Good radio message, What Jesus Said About Hell, here's Dr. Ron Jones. He also told a parable in which he compared the kingdom of heaven to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And one of the attending guests didn't belong at the feast, and the king inquired as to how he got there. And when the uninvited intruder was speechless, the king said, Matthew 22 and verse 13, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. One more, Jesus taught in another parable that the kingdom of heaven was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property property that he called talents. A talent back then was a, an apportionment of money. And to one he gave uh, two, and to another one, and to another five, and then the master went away and returned, and an accounting took place. And the one who had five turned it into 10, the one who had two turned it into four, the one who had one had buried it in the ground. And that's when the owner returned and you know, learned what each did with his stewardship, and he immediately took the one talent away from him and gave it to the man who now had 10 and said, cast the worthless servant, here it is again, into outer darkness. Outer darkness. Outer darkness is a terrible, terrible punishment. It reminds me that one of the 10 plagues that befell Egypt, when Moses you know, said, let my people go, and plague after plague after plague after plague came to get Pharaoh's attention, one of them was was darkness, complete and total darkness. Exodus tells us people, they couldn't see each other at night, and it was dark all the time. Hell is a dark 
and gloomy place. Jude verse six says, and the angels, listen to this, the angels which did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Jude is referring to the time of Lucifer's rebellion. And uh, the Bible says he took with him one third of the angels. They are now you know, part of his, his demonic army. Um, Jude says that God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Hell is a dark and gloomy place. Number three, hell is a place where God is not. And that might be hell enough right there. Uh, We don't fully understand or comprehend or have lived anywhere where God is not. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, they will suffer the punishment, that is unbelievers, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Again, we we don't know what that's like. We have no comprehension. No human being in history The history of humanity has any comprehension of what it's like to live in a place where God is not. You wanna know why? Because believers and unbelievers alike in this world experience what we call common grace, the common grace of God. You've heard of amazing grace, you've probably sang about it. Uh, Maybe you've heard of God's sufficient grace. Remember when he said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you when Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh. But then theologically, we also talk about God's common grace. Uh, Jesus said um, as, as much when he talked about how the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That the sun shines on the, on the good and the bad. Every human being, uh, the, even the most uh, devoted follower of Jesus and the most devoted atheist experienced God's common grace in this life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people in this life and they happen to good people. Conversely, bad things happen to good people in this life and bad people. We experience common grace because God is here. He is especially present in his church in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on this earth. At the time of the rapture, he's out of here. He's out of here in a New Testament sense because the church is gone. And all hell breaks loose during the tribulation period. But hell itself is a place where God is not. There's no hint of his goodness or his common grace. We, don't, we can't imagine an experience like that. Because whether you acknowledge it or not, even, even the most hard-hearted believer, whether he acknowledges it or not, is still a recipient of some measure of God's kindness and his grace and his goodness here on planet Earth. But in eternity, God will dwell with his people in heaven. He will not even visit hell, this dark, gloomy place of eternal fire.
Fourthly, in hell, sorrow and angry regret will consume people. It'll consume people. In every one of the places where Jesus mentions outer darkness, he also says something like this. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sorrow and angry regret will consume people. I also take a phrase like that as more evidence that there is consciousness in hell, eternal consciousness. You can't be sorrowful and full of angry regret, the gnashing of your teeth if you're not conscious. Uh, Bruxism is the term that medical experts use to describe the act of grinding or gnashing or clenching your teeth. Severe bruxism, medical experts say, is brought on by emotional trauma or anxiety, stress, anger, frustration, tension, and it can cause uh, various disorders, bruxism can. Unbelievers in hell will experience a strong dose of emotional trauma from the minute they experience it. And the weeping and the grinding and the clenching and the gnashing of teeth will be as eternal as the fires of hell. It'll never end. You would think that uh, five seconds in hell might soften the human heart, but just the opposite is true. It's like pouring cement on the angry regret and the clenching of teeth and the grinding and the It doesn't soften the human heart at all. And that brings us to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, where the Apostle John on the island of Patmos was given a vision of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 20, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, and the implication here is all the inhabitants of Hades, the unbelievers, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, John writes, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is known uh, as the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of unbelievers. The lake of fire, synonymous with hell. I take this to mean, technically speaking, nobody is in hell right now. They're in the torment part of Hades. And one day, death itself and all the inhabitants of Hades, including the devil and all of his demons that get thrown into the pit, okay, and all unbelievers will one day be cast into 
uh, the lake of fire. It's a sobering scene at the end of John's revelation here, before he introduces us to the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal state and the new Jerusalem. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Let me ask you, is there a more important topic than one's eternal destination? Dr. Ron Jones believes the gravity of this topic deserves the utmost in both biblical accuracy and compassion. He provides both in his book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. And he'd like to send you a copy by request for your donation to Something Good Today. Are heaven and hell real places? What happens right after you die? Ron answers these questions and more in Mysteries of the Afterlife, and it's our gift to you by request for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, What Jesus Said About Hell. Uh, There's another judgment for believers called the Judgment Seat of Christ. I've described it uh, as others have in the past as sort of like a graduation ceremony where everybody gets a, you know, a graduation diploma. Some graduate with honors. It's an awards ceremony, the Judgment Seat of Christ is, where where as a believer in Jesus, you're not judged on whether you get into heaven or not, but your works done since you met Christ. Remember, our works do not accomplish our salvation, but we were created for good works, the Bible tells us. And as believers in Jesus Christ, God is keeping a record of our works since we met Christ by grace and through faith alone. And and the investment, if I might say, of our time and our talent and our treasure will, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be tested by fire, the Bible says. Uh, Some of those works will be uh, tested and they will come out like purified gold and others will be burned up. That's why some people say, some will enter into heaven with a little smell of singe behind them because all the works they did were fleshy and for selfish purposes. But everybody's in at the judgment seat of Christ. At the great white throne judgment, nobody's in. And there are two places in eternity. A place where God dwells with his people, where not even a hint of unrighteousness or unholiness or impurity. A place where redeemed souls, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, washed pure by the blood of Christ will dwell with him. And the other place is a place where God is not. And will never visit. You'll never even catch a whiff of his goodness, his kindness, his grace. It's a place of eternal fire and anguish, dark and gloomy. A place of sorrow an angry regret, and the remembrance of every opportunity you had to hear the gospel and to place your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So what are you waiting for today, friend? 
For believers in Jesus Christ, this ought to bring sorrow to our hearts, a tear to our eye, and a commitment to do everything we can to tell family and friends and neighbors and, and, and be a part of this church that Jesus is building and, and, and become a, an eternal force in this world for the gospel and for the grace of God and bring as many people to heaven with us as we can. And if you're one of those people who are still you know, trying to figure out this Jesus, well, let me just tell you about a French philosopher and scientist and um, uh, mathematician named Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal thought about matters like these and he said one time, he says, you know, all of us as human beings are, are uh, wagering a bet. We're rolling the dice on something. Either God exists or he doesn't. And Pascal said, you know, as a philosopher and as a scientist, as a mathematician, I, I can do all my calculations, but at the, at the end of the day, it's a wager. And if I wager that God exists, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I die, and I find out it's all a fantasy and a fairy tale, I haven't lost anything. But if I wager, no, God doesn't exist and all this Jesus stuff is silliness and no, they're gonna install air conditioners in hell. You roll the dice on that, you die, and you discover you were wrong, you have got everything to lose. It's known in philosophy as Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager. If I could scare you out of hell, I would. If I could drag you to the cross of Christ, I would, but I can't. I'm a preacher. My responsibility is just to tell you the truth. I'm that oncologist, I've run the tests. I've read, I've read the reports. And now I'm just telling you honestly what Jesus said. You can tattoo him any way you want as the, uh, you know, good shepherd who frolics in the fields with the lambs and just loves everybody. He's a good moral teacher. That isn't all of him. You gotta wrestle with this other stuff too. That's just as reliable. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. How are you gonna roll the dice? What's your bet? What's your wager? Because we all know where we're eventually going. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, the Bible says. So I plead with you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, <laughs> roll the dice toward the cross. I, you know, I believe, help thou my unbelief, one guy said to Jesus. Come with whatever measure of faith God has given to you and come to Christ alone, receive his free gift of eternal life by grace and through faith alone. Don't bring your best works, it doesn't matter. It doesn't measure up. God doesn't grade on a curve. You failed the test and so did I. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And heaven is a glorious place, is it not? Nobody is there who failed the test. But everybody who is there is there by the grace of God. 
And everybody who ends up in hell is there because of God's justice. And you can't have one without the other. God was both loving and holy and righteous and just by giving us eternal life through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that is the only way in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So, what are you going to wager today? What's your bet? And don't waste time because you don't have a guarantee for the next minute, let alone the next day or hour or decade. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. But what time we do have remaining as believers in Jesus Christ, listen, let's double our efforts to be about the business of of the church. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Boy, somebody shout amen to that. I get excited about that and I wanna be a part of something like that. And I know you do too. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, What Jesus Said About Hell. Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Well, here we are, Pastor, at the end of another great teaching series. Any final thoughts on today's message or the series in general before we close this one out? Brian, I knew if I was going to teach a series about heaven, I'd have to include what the Bible says about hell. I still believe the best approach to evangelism is to motivate people with God's love. I'd rather love unbelievers into heaven than try to scare them out of hell. But I'm willing to do anything it takes to help people come to the knowledge of the truth. And I encourage anyone listening to do the same. As the Apostle Paul said, I will become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. And sometimes that means proclaiming, well, the beauty and majesty of heaven. And at other times, it means being brutally honest about hell. In fact, Billy Graham once said that if we preached more hell in the pulpit, well, we might have less hell in the pew. And perhaps that is true. Uh, Let me close with a little practical advice, if I may, Brian. In our culture today, Satan has convinced uh, many unbelievers that if we don't agree with their choices and the lifestyle those choices produce, then we don't love them, uh, that we are haters. Well, this is simply not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So I say, listen up, church, and be encouraged today, no matter how often the world calls us haters, by telling them the truth about God and his gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are actually loving them. So let's not stop speaking the truth in love, even if that truth includes uh, a biblical message about hell. Uh, this is critical. We have to persevere through that attack and, and love people enough to shine the light of Jesus Christ in their lives as often as we can, because hell is a real place. Brian, if we truly love people, we will tell them the truth, even when they demand we stop. That's Dr. Ron Jones and some final thoughts from his teaching series, Heaven the Father's house, and my eternal home. Ron, tomorrow you launch a brand new teaching series here on Something Good. What can you tell us about it? 
You know, believe it or not, there are a lot of Christians, uh, some of them longtime followers of Christ, who either don't know how to pray or else don't know how to pray as fervently and as effectively as they'd like to. Uh, If you're listening today and you're one of them, don't feel too bad. Even the disciples didn't know how to pray, so they asked Jesus to teach them. Uh, What I'm going to do over the next few weeks is take a deep dive into our Lord's answer to their question, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Now, most uh, all believers know the prayer Jesus taught the disciples to pray. It's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Well, Brian, I believe the the time is right for a fresh look at this 2,000-year-old prayer. And Brian, what we will discover in this series is that learning to pray the Jesus way still works. The series is called The Jesus Way to Pray, and it starts tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Jesus Way to Pray with Passion. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.